Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. I'm Brian Boitler, Editor-in-Chief for Crooked Media, and you're listening to Crooked Conversations. On today's episode, I talked to Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. You all know Senator Warren for her efforts to reign in Wall Street and from the constant speculation about whether she'll run for president. But she's just introduced two important new bills, one that would give workers a much greater say in how corporate America operates, and one that would take aim at corruption in Washington, D.C. She invited me to her Senate office to discuss these bills and why they are so critical in the Trump era. I hope you enjoy it. So, Senator Warren, thanks for doing this with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. So I want to set the stage for our conversation with a little bit of context. Last year, big businesses spent a lot of money lobbying the government for a big corporate tax cut. Yep. They got the tax cut. Yep. President Trump gave himself a big tax cut. Yep. Then some of these companies kind of worked hand in glove with the White House to do public relations for the tax cut. Yep. They thanked him for making holiday bonuses possible. And then many months later, data showed that the tax cuts drove record-setting stock buybacks, uh-huh. and real wages have yep. actually fallen slightly. Yep. Um, and at the same time, many of the authors of the bill here on the Hill and in Congress have already kind of been rewarded for all their hard work with lucrative lobbying jobs, right? Fast forward to this month, you introduced two new pieces of legislation, the Accountable Capitalism Act and the Anti-Corruption and Public Integrity Act. So is it wrong of me to assume that this backdrop that I just went through was at least part of the inspiration for these two bills. No, that is definitely not wrong. (laughs) Uh, You know, the backdrop that you talk about basically just proves kind of one of the, the central truths of Washington. When you help the rich and powerful, they get richer and more powerful. And that's exactly what happened. The rich and powerful lobbied for those tax breaks. They got them, and now they're richer and even more powerful. So let's talk about uh, those bills in order. Um, The Accountable Capitalism Act, as I understand it, would apply to corporations that have a billion dollars or more coming through their their cash registers every year and impose a few new rules on them. Do you want to just kind of run through the the, the three or four big points? So here's the basic idea behind accountable capitalism. Uh, Remember, corporations are just creations of law. I mean, they don't they get what they are because we pass rules that say they're going to get limited liability and infinite life and so on and so forth. And to do that, they have to get a charter. And so for decades, shoot, for centuries, when corporations got charters, basically what the corporation said was, we're going to run ourselves to help shareholders and employees and the communities where we're located and customers and United States of America. That's just part of the deal. If you go take a look in the early 1980s, the Business Roundtable, which is the trade association for the biggest corporations in America, basically said that. And that's how corporations ran. And by and large, it pretty much worked. It was a time when productivity went up, stock market went up, and wages went up. They all moved together. Then along comes this idea that no, 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 no. Corporations should be run for 
only one purpose, and that is to shovel more money directly into the pockets of the shareholders. In other words, the richest people in America. And so corporations start to shift. And by the late 1990s, that's exactly what you see. Business Roundtable puts out its statement and says corporations have one job, make shareholders richer. And of course, part of the problem for this is Keep in mind, more than half of all America doesn't have a single share of stock. That means including in a 401k or retirement fund or anything. That in fact, about, what is it, about 83% of all those dividends are going to the top 10% in America. So this is helping the rich get richer. And that's all it's doing. That's the focus. So what this bill has in it is it has some different features. The first one is to try to address this problem of, it's described as short-termism. And you're hearing this all the time now. Even folks who are big institutional Wall Street investors are talking about I think about even this. Trump said something about it recently. Yeah, but I'm people. not sure what he meant by that. You just never know yeah. on that one. Okay, but anyway, the basic idea is American corporations are not investing enough for the long term. And think of it this way. You're the CEO of some bazillion dollar corporation and you got, you know, a spare hundred million dollars you could invest. You got two choices, let's say. One, you could build a factory right here in the United States. That'd be an immediate cost and it would be what? Five years it starts to pay off, six years, seven years, right? But long-term, really good for the company. Or you could take that hundred million dollars and you could buy back shares of your own stock. And what that would do is it doesn't change anything about the economic prospects of the business, but it juices the share price. It puts it on a sugar high. So the share price shoots up. And if you're a CEO who's mostly getting paid for meeting your targets on quarter by quarter or year by year share prices, which one are you going to pick? Of those two, if you actually own a lot of shares and can sell them off right after you juice the price, which one are you going to pick? So what this bill says is we're going to put some features in to try to get American companies to invest long term. And we think that's going to help make sure that everybody does well when corporations do well. So here are the features. First one says for those CEOs, uh, no deal. You don't get to sell within three years of having done a stock buyback, and you don't get to sell within five years of having acquired the stock. So you got to be in this for long arc, not short arc. Second one is it says employees get to elect 40% of the board. They're the ones who have a real interest in making sure this company is here. It's here for the employees, their families, their communities, their retirees that it works and has a longer arc investment. And the third one is to pick up on a political point. And that is to say, if corporation wants to make political contributions, it's gotta be the case that the shareholders and the board of directors get to vote on that. And it's gotta carry by 75%. So we got two pieces aimed at long-term and one aimed at trying to keep these giant corporations, this applies only to corporations that have more than a billion dollars in revenues each year, says to these giant corporations, you can't be planning to make your profits by helping out your political friends and twisting government. 
to work for you. So all of this is to try to push back in the direction of this, think about it, this powerful force we have in America, giant corporations. Let's get them where they're working for more of us. So let's imagine a company in Massachusetts, pretty big company, pulls in $2 billion a year selling widgets. And Man, like, that's a big widgets market. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I'm I mean, invested. This is this is one of your your key constituents. Okay, probably, right? here. So, so yeah. like like a lot of companies, it, ma- it maximizes profits by trying to hold down labor costs. It pays. You mean by by firing by, a bunch of people by moving it, jobs overseas? Is that what you're talking yes, about? Whole, yeah, because they say we can make better short term profits by building factories in far off companies that pay their workers a couple of bucks a day. But so it also pays Washington lobbyists to promote yep. the widget industry. But not just the widget industry, but also kind of ancillary things like it likes the corporate tax cuts. Oh, so it, yes. it promotes oh, it yes. promotes corporate tax cuts. It promotes widget deregulation. Yes. Suddenly, the Accountable Capitalism Act becomes law, and these rules come into effect. And mm-hmm. apart from just kind of being pissed at you for <laughs> for having pushed the bill, what changes do you think this would bring about within the company, within the the town that the company is located, and how does it change? sort of business and corporate and worker life uh, when it goes into effect? Oh, I love this question. So I, I, here's how I see it, is that they get their new board in, and their new board is not just the same kind of interconnected corporate guys who are sitting on five other mega corporations boards and all doing the same thing, that is following the herd and shipping jobs overseas and and lobbying Washington to deregulate their industries and do everything else they can to juice and doing buybacks, juicing the stock prices, that now they actually have to sit down and think about their investment strategy and about where their best investment opportunities are, not over the next three months, because that's going to be stock market. It's over the next three years, six years, nine years. What is it that helps build a strong company here? Where is it that we can best compete? Where is it that we can best innovate? Where is it that our workers can best be put to maximum effect to be able to be more productive and to have a piece of that as they go forward? I think that's good for the workers, good for the community, certainly good for Massachusetts. We love having a company like that. (laughs) And the idea seems to me to be that Okay, now you have 40% of the board members are elected by the workers. Mm-hmm. The workers are going to want the widgets to sell, so they might pay lobbyists to advocate for widgets. But they, you're going to – it seems like the aim of the bill is to kind of cut companies off at the pass before they can go for things like the corporate tax cut that really yep. affect the sort of executive suite but not the worker – like the workers who are making wages. Is that right. is that how you kind of anticipate? Yeah. I, I like the way you, you frame this, but I think that's a good way to understand what we're talking about. You know, one of the things you, you think about is who's in the corporate boardroom? Because they're the ones, they, they're not day-to-day management, I get that. But they're the ones who set the course for the executives to carry out. They're the ones who have to get together and think, how do we want this corporation to work? How is it that this corporation is going to be a better corporation a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? And what we know for a fact 
is that what's happening in corporate boardrooms is not doing that in America now. And I say it over and over, I'm not the only one saying that. There are folks on Wall Street saying it. There are institutional investors. Do you realize that right now we are on target in 2018 for a trillion dollars in stock buybacks? Now think about that. That means a trillion dollars spent, not to build a new factory, not to create one additional job, a trillion dollars spent to do nothing but raise the sugar level of the U.S. stock market. So to what extent do you see the the ACA, it, it sounds so strange to say that and not be talking about healthcare, but mm-hmm. the Accountable Capitalism Act as a, as a complement to more traditional labor laws, and to what extent do you see it as a kind of workaround f- be, to account for the collapse of unions as these sort of cross-cutting solidarity institutions? So I see it as complement. And I see it as a step toward revitalizing workers' voices, but also creating the next generation of workers' voices. So it's, um, I, I think of it this way. If workers are called on to vote for someone who will represent long-term interests of the corporation, keeping this corporation, this Massachusetts corporation strong, then I believe what we get out of that is we get workers who are more engaged and workers who are ready to exercise power in other ways that are appropriate. I, I believe that that is part of how we make this economy work better. I, I, I the reason I asked about uh-huh. this bill's relation to to organized labor is because in my mind, sort of the political assault on unions and the damage globalization has done to unions, and then also the rise of shareholder capitalism have had they've had like both big picture and then also local localized mm-hmm. consequence. So locally, you you know sort of as you were describing it, a sort of severed bonds between employers and employees and communities, right? That there, there was a healthy balance of power when when that was blown up, it had all these effects in communities where that happened, right? But then more broadly, you have widening inequality, and that's dramatically distorted politics. And so we have this kind of crisis of democracy that is kind of rooted in 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 both the the demise of labor and in the in in the cult of shareholder capitalism. Um, and is so I guess my question is the main goal here to shift more power to workers relative to employers, or is it to diminish corporate power over politics? Because it seems to work on both it's channels, both. right? Yeah, the answer is yes and yes. yes, and yes. It's not a, this is not an either or. Indeed, that is part of the point. And of course, I know we're going to get to it in just a second, but this is what the anti-corruption bill is also about and why these two link to each other. What we're really talking about, let me say it another way. You beat are, me to the punch. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry. It's sorry. okay. No, it's fine. But but it really does go to this fundamental point. Unions built America's middle class and unions will rebuild America's middle class. They'll have different tools to do it. They'll have to organize differently. And this piece, accountable capitalism, is about workers. It's about saying in America... We want a strong economy going forward, but we re- and and we recognize that a strong economy means that 
there will be shareholder value and worker value and community value and customer value and value for this country. That that the idea of stripping all the wealth that comes from this increased productivity out of the hands of the workers and putting it all in the hands of an ever smaller group of investors is ultimately not good for the corporations, not good for workers, and not good for this country. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Elizabeth Warren after this break. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Stitch Fix. If you're like me and terrible at picking out clothing on your own, you should sign up for Stitch Fix today. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Just go to stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. You'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled payments or get your fix whenever you want. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied towards anything you keep from your shipment. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos. So you, you met, you, you've described it as a sugar high, and I think that that's actually like a, a great way for me to set up this question, which is a little bit more political. Like if, if So if the European experience with co-determination, which is essentially mm-hmm. what this bill is, is any indication, you know, a, a bill like yours would like decrease the gap between executive pay and worker pay. It would have effect, it would have a positive effect on pro- productivity, but it would also, you know, transfer the paper value of, of corporate stock to workers in the form of higher wages. But that's kind of a fancy way of saying stock prices might fall. And, you know, it, it, in 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 the, like material terms, that means workers will be doing better. But if if people kind of writ large think of the stock market as a measure of economic health, you know what do you say to them when the ACA becomes law and that sugar comes out of the stock market and prices come down? So it, it, this is the reminder: sugar is the right analogy here. It's how do you build a healthy economy that lasts over time? That's what we need. Look, we just saw in the crash of two thousand eight. What happens when you build an economy on something that's not honest and true, right? On all those lying, cheating mortgages and the stock market shot up right up until the whole thing blew apart because the underlying value wasn't there. And then the crash wiped out trillions of dollars in value along with millions of jobs and millions of homes. So... For me, what this conversation is about is trying to get the rules right so that the stock market reflects real value going forward. Pumping a trillion dollars in stock buybacks into the market in 2018, as we're now on target to do, does not make this country a stronger economy. This doesn't make jobs more likely here in America. This just transfers wealth 
into the pockets of the CEOs and uh, a very small proportion of the population that owns a whole lot of stock. So I want to see a stock market that better reflects real value. But let me say it the other way. You want to build an economy going forward? Then build a stronger middle class. America's economy throughout the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, right, was not an economy that was driven by a rising stock market. There was a rising stock market because American workers were doing better. We were building this enormous, strong middle class. And that's all that opportunity and all that growth in workers in America's middle class created this incredibly vibrant economy. Always remember, the driver behind this economy is the American consumer. And so every time these corporations strip wealth out of middle-class families, every time they say, instead of paying decent wages, we're going to move those jobs overseas, we're going to fire these folks, one of the consequences is, over the long term, we have a less robust economy here at home, and that doesn't help us. So, so I think that this is really a, a big plus over the long arc for for the economy. I'm, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought up the financial crisis because you saw there what the you know how catastrophic the effect oh, yeah. of, of of you know when 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 things are valued beyond what they're yep. actually worth, and then. And then reality sinks then, back in the boom. Yeah, but for but for I'm wondering if if you know you've considered the, for for people who are retiring now, say right. Yes, the values of their 401ks may be sugar inflated, but they're also retiring now, and so they are getting well. But that's the problem with sugar. Sugar wears off fast. That sugar inflation is not permanent. Even if we didn't make any changes, that sugar inflation is is there for a while and then what happens to it so then i under, the goal is to kind of extract it for the long term so that decisions are being made right. with the right incentives behind them but in the immediate term the aca becomes law 401k values slip and people who are retiring now what is 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 there some sort of transition period that needs to happen so that you can make the important changes that you want to make in the long term yeah, but you have you don't have much faith in markets. <laughs> uh, so this is going to be a good conversation. I have more faith in markets than you do, in this sense. I believe that investors take into account short term and long term. And yeah, there are the in and out boys who who right. go on the sugar high. But there's a reason that so many investors right now, the big institutional investors, so many sophisticated investors, keep pounding the table for more long-term vision from American corporations. I think that if they see structural changes that will encourage that long-term investment, I think we're going to see share prices reflect that. Come on, what is what is the 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 share price really reflect. It's the anticipation of what this company will earn. And now you just have to decide what's your, what's your time right. period, over what period of time. And to the extent we develop more confidence that 
the biggest corporations, these big publicly traded corporations are going to be making longer-term investments, and that's going to help strengthen and build America's middle class and put that consumer economy on a stronger footing, man, I see stock prices going up because real value is there. So let's talk about political corruption then. Okay. (laughs) Um, So we were just talking about how you want to use the law to change corporate culture. Um, At the same time, you want to change political culture in Washington, and you've introduced a bill to do that. So how would the Anti-Corruption and Public Integrity Act accomplish that goal? Okay. So let's start with the fact that people understand corruption in Washington, but most folks think of it in terms of campaign finance. And I get that. It is a serious problem that uh, corporate interests, lobbyists make big contributions to elected officials, and then the elected officials do what they want. It's one of the reasons I don't take corporate PAC money, shoot, I don't take PAC money of any kind, but it's not the only problem. We could fix that problem tomorrow, and we would still have a problem of the influence of money here in Washington. So let me just talk, just kind of overview Mm -hmm. about the ways. The revolving door, the fact that folks work work in Wall Street, come over to Washington for just a little while to regulate their past and future employers and then swing back over to Wall Street. Um, That means, are they really doing work in the public interest or are they really just doing work for themselves? Or the fact that when people are in office, elected officials are trading in individual stocks at the same time that they're making policy that influences those individual stocks. There are elected officials, like President of the United States, who haven't revealed their taxes, haven't divested themselves of businesses that they can directly influence. So, once again, they're working in the public interest or just working for themselves. One more. People leave public office and go become lobbyists. And that's even under the Swiss cheese definition of lobbyist, you know, that some are doing it. What we say in this bill is, uh uh-uh. You don't get, we have a much broader definition of lobbyist, but here's the deal. If you're going to be a senator, if you're going to be a congressman, if you're going to be a president, vice president, cabinet head, head of an agency, you shouldn't be looking at your next job, that fancy lobbying job that's come up. Two others that I'll mention really quickly. Um, When regulatory agencies get overwhelmed by industry that can spend a bazillion dollars to try to force the agency to write rules their way. You can't do the public interest. One more. I hit the judges in this one, too, including the Supreme Court justices. The idea that they say, hey, we don't have to abide by any ethics rules. Just trust us. Sorry, I don't. I want to see some ethics rules there. And by the way, Those would include the same kind of thing. You don't get to own individual stocks. You don't get to trade in those stocks. And you don't get to take fancy extended hunting lodge vacations and golf vacations paid for by people who are likely to have business in front of the United States Supreme Court. And then I'd wrap those five areas up by hiring a new sheriff putting somebody in charge whose responsibility it is to make sure all the forms have been filed, all the disclosures have been made, uh, all of the divestments have been made, and that people follow some basic ethics rules here in Washington. The the Supreme Court um, aspect of this is foreshadowing for where I want to go. But, okay. But first, 
obviously the Trump era has amplified this financial self-interest channel of official corruption, right? Like, Boy, no kidding. His finances are at the center of a ton of corruption scandals. We have one Republican in Congress who did exactly what you said. He's under indictment for insider trading. So it's it's clearly a problem. But when I was when I was first reading up on this bill, I kept thinking, you know, corruption in Washington is somewhat more systemic. It's about political self-interest as much as financial self-interest, um, which means we, you got to look at, at election law, the power of donors. And then it kind of dawned on me that maybe I was making a mistake to think of the Accountable Capitalism Act and the Anti-Corruption Act as entirely separate agenda items. Was that was was that your intent? And is that why these bills? So now out? you see why they connect with each other. If if corporate yep. culture feeds political corruption, and then political corruption reinforces corporate supremacy, then a corporate accountability bill is kind of an anti-corruption bill, and and an anti-corruption bill can help change corporate culture. That's right. right? It's they, an accountability bill. Right. That's right. So That's how do how, the can, two work together? How can you describe the mechanism? I, I I think I see it, but I think our our listeners might have heard that you have this bill that's about reining in corporations and this bill that's about corruption and not quite see how they're actually two prongs of one So think of it this way. There are two incredibly powerful institutions in this country right now, and that's the giant corporations in America and the government, our big federal government. There was a time in America when both of those at least aimed in the direction of working for the people. Not perfectly, much that was wrong, many who were left behind, but at least that was the way they were bending. All that began to shift in about the 1980s, and instead they started working for each other. Corporate America figured out that, you know, if you could just twist a little rule in Washington, the payoff could be enormous. Just a little exception here, a little special bit of law over there, just a little tax break here. Tilt the field just just a little this week, and then just a little bit more next month, and then, oh, just mm, a tiny bit more six months from now, and next year, and the year after, and the year after. And you know what? After a while... Those two, the big corporations and the government, are working so tightly to keep scraping value out of this economy and taking it away from working people and larding it on those who are already rich and powerful that it's fundamentally changed not only our economy, but also our democracy. Let me put it back to you the other direction. Think about it this way. In a world where we have a democracy, you ought to be able to do the math and say the government will always work for the people. I mean, why wouldn't the government raise the minimum wage? There are a whole lot more people who would like to see that minimum wage go up than there are the owners of McDonald's who say, whoa, let's keep that minimum wage low because it'll increase my profitability. And yet, Year after year after year now, it keeps coming out that McDonald's wins that fight over working people. Think about it this way. There are so many more people with student loan debt, right, than there are loan servicers and folks making money off that. And yet, in a democracy, it ought to be the case the students are the ones who who get laws that kind of tilt in their favor. But no, 
um, uh, Mulvaney running the CFPB just announced, hey, you know, he's doing some more things to help student loan servicers because they need more profits to rake off students who are struggling with, with student loans. So on and on, we could, we could run this all the way through. But you have to ask the fundamental question, why does government keep working for the rich and the powerful instead of for people? And the answer is because corporations figured out that they could get a great return on investment if they lobbied that government in a hundred different ways, not just campaign contributions, but lobby, you know, Washington, you've walked around this place, side to side, wall to wall. I mean, lobbying the elected officials, lobbying the agencies, lobbying the administration, not just lobbying, putting your people in there to run them, to write the regulations. Every single piece of this, telling people, uh, while you're a public official, we just want you to know we'd sure like to have you for that $2 million job once you decide to retire. All of those things that keep tilting the rules in favor of the rich and the powerful. So it, it, the pieces fit together. What we're losing right now is both an economy and a functioning democracy. A f we're losing a functioning economy and a functioning democracy. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Quip. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. People brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. With Quip, a built-in two-minute timer pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. A multi-use cover mounts to your mirror and unmounts to slide over your bristles for on-the-go brushing. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. If you use Quip, you'll never have to lie to your dentist about your oral hygiene again. That's why I love Quip and why they're backed up by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash crookedconvos right now, you'll get your first refill pack for free with the Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crookedconvos. So can I be a, a wet blanket oh, for, sure. for a minute? For two complications, I, I see ahead for, for this vision. Okay. And, and you named one of them. You actually named both of them. Um, uh, so the, the Accountable Capitalism Act would, would create the, the Office of United States Corporations and the Anti-Corruption Act would create an Office of Public Integrity. This was the sheriff that you meant to, to enforce ethics laws, right? You, you mentioned Mick Mulvaney. You have experience um, as the founder of the CFPB building these enforcement institutions. But as we're seeing with him and, and his interim appointment, these institutions can be captured or neutered uh, when just one election goes the wrong way. So why, why are you confident that these bills – if enacted, would have lasting benefit and not just kind of create this pendulum swing where corporations and lobbyists run wild right. under Republican rule and then get hemmed in a I bit hear under you. Democratic I hear you. Let me, Can I just start by uh -huh. saying 
I just want you to listen to what your question is, because your question fundamentally says the cop might not always be strong, so let's have no cop at all. How's that damn well working out for us? You know, not well. So I didn't want that. I didn't want that to, I know. to be the subtext. No, at all. no. But think about because it is mm-hmm. because th- that is the problem. So I want to start out. Let's use the CFPB as an example. The CFPB has been up and operational for seven years. It has forced biggest financial institutions in this country to return more than $12 billion directly to people who were cheated. It's handled a million and a half complaints. That's government that works for the people. That's government that helps level the playing field. Perfectly level? No. But helps level the playing fields. Put mortgage rules in place so people don't get cheated on their mortgages anymore. So that market now works. Someone can look at mortgages, put three mortgages in front of them and tell which one's the most expensive and know that there aren't a bunch of tricks and traps written back on page 32 because there is no page 32, right? right? Okay, we got all that. That's what they've done. They've gotten good regulations in place and begun to make that market work. Now, Mick Mulvaney is the extreme example. He's in there doing everything he can to undo that agency. And is he doing a lot of damage? You bet he's doing a lot of damage. Is he slowing down good work? You bet he's slowing down good work. Do I see places that if I were rewriting the rules on this, I would have tightened this or, or, you know, put an extra rivet on that one to protect against someone like Mick Mulvaney? You bet I would. But it doesn't mean that I've lost faith in the notion of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It's there. And despite all that Mick Mulvaney has been doing for goodness, almost a year now, it's still doing a lot of its work. It's still doing its bank supervision. It's still handling those complaints. It's still out there in the fight. Not as strong as it was. I get it. But it's there and it makes a difference. Think about the two agencies that I've proposed here. The the cop on the beat on ethics basically says right in the law that this isn't up to the discretion of the cop, everybody has to file their taxes. In fact, the way that's done, it says the IRS shall release the taxes of every person who runs for federal office. Done. Game, set, match. There is no Mick Mulvaney to come in. I mean, I'm, we learn, right? <laughs> uh, it has disclosures. Everybody has to file disclosures under penalty of perjury. Everybody has to divest, get rid of your business interests. So there's a lot of this that becomes either self-executing or very public, very visible. And in this office, a lot more of the transparency so the public can see it and stay after it, so the press can stay after it. So I think that's the first step. And keep in mind, we have these ethics officers right now. We're paying for them. They're just scattered among the agencies, and they have, they have all the power and authority of a mall cop. Well, my <laughs> view is, how about we take them off their scooter things, and we actually give them some tools to be able to do something. As for the, the corporate accountability, uh, 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 the uh, accountable capitalism, let me just underline on that one. This is just about chartering. And right now, every state charters corporations. It's not a very fancy undertaking. You want to be a corporation, you got you got to get a charter. Right. And what we're saying here is, if you're one of the ginormous ones, 
this is the kind of charter you've got to get. And here are three or four things we're just going to keep watching out. There are a whole bunch of rules already that uh, the states are enforcing with these corporations. So, yeah, I get it. Will it be perfect all the time? No, but so much better than it is right now. This is one of those cases. Look, we, we just went through a huge crash, 2008. Millions of people lost their homes. Millions lost their savings. Millions lost their jobs. We now live in an America where people see every day stock markets going up, countries getting richer, GDP is going up, productivity is going up. And how about their own lives? Wages slightly down, but the cost of sending their kids to school, the cost of buying a home, the cost of trying to, 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 to pay for transportation, for health care, is shooting through the roof. Families are caught in a squeeze that is not sustainable. And my view on this is the problems that created this squeeze are structural and big. And the only way we solve them is to have big structural solutions. So my, uh, my blanket is now half dry. <laughs> um, here, and so here's the other concern, and it sort of speaks to, uh, you know, a, a lot of how I think Republicans have devolved the concept of governing to just finding judges, right, and, and, and getting them on courts, right? So this June, the Supreme Court's five conservatives held that it's a violation of the First Amendment for public sector unions to collect yeah. dues from, from non-consenting employees. Shameful decision. In, in her dissent, Justice Kagan wrote that the decision, quote, prevents the American people acting through their state and local officials from making important choices about workplace governance, and it does so by weaponizing the First Amendment, and here's the important point, in a way that unleashes judges now and in the future to intervene in economic and regulatory policy. So when I heard her dissent, I heard Lochner, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I heard a warning to us, but particularly to legislators like you, that we're maybe at the dawn of a new era, much like the one at the first half of the last century, in which an ideologically motivated Supreme Court has found a pretext in the Constitution to make sure capitalists and the lawmakers that they capture and lobbyists can't be held accountable. So so what do we do as a country? What do you do as a legislator or some other powerful politician? If, if bills like these become law and then the Supreme Court says, sorry, corporate board elections are protected speech, lobbying, restric lobbying restrictions violate free speech, and then they just throw them out. Okay, so let me say two things. The first one is, you fight them. Look, you don't self-censor. You put in things. I believe this. everything I've got in here is constitutional. i got a lot of folks working for me. <laughs> and we've argued this well into the night. Are we sure we've stayed on the right side of the American Constitution? I feel entirely confident that we have. But as you say, a politically motivated court might go after this. Okay, make them fight. You know, I don't not do things because someone who's politically motivated might push back. My view is you get out there, you fight for it, and you fight for it very publicly. You get the American people engaged and say, this matters and here's why it matters to us. Remember, that's what Franklin Roosevelt did, ultimately. Um, so I think that's a key part. But the second part, how many days are we away from an election, <laughs> midterms? Uh, Look, this is a team sport. <laughs> I am working as hard as I can 
not just to be able to take back the House, but to take back the Senate, because nobody makes it to the federal bench unless they have a majority in the United States Senate. I think that what's happening at the judiciary right now is uh, deeply worrisome for the future of the United States. Uh, I have taken to the floor many times to talk about these judges. I argue about it back in our caucus meetings about how much energy we need to put into um, stopping judges, judges that are unqualified. There are people right now who are making it through who don't just have a pro-corporate ideological bent, they actually have an anti-democratic bent. Uh, uh, recently confirmed uh, to the circuit court the go-to guy for keeping African Americans from voting, every form of voter suppression. Uh, uh, people who have said things that are racist, that are anti-woman, that are anti-Muslim, uh, and who never could have been nominated, not made it through a nomination screen back when George W. Bush was president, and are just getting passed through now with every Republican standing up and voting for him. I think that the best way we deal with that or the, 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 chance, the, the quickest chance in front of us to deal with that is to try to take back the Senate and, and uh, make sure that the people who make it to the federal bench truly reflect the values of all Americans. So I'm, so I'm hearing the solution to my big long-term concern is win elections to shape the court, yep. pass the uh, Anti-Corruption Act so that uh, judges have to disclose where they're getting their 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 non-salary money right mobilize public opinion in the event that they try to strike down laws that regulate the economy like this and and that if they do you might end up back where we were almost 100 years ago with another switch in time that saves nine you know yeah and let me remind you about the importance the only thing i add to what you're saying is you have to fight for what you believe in look the Supreme Court, what's it been now, four years ago, gutted the Voting Rights Act. My view is, so where are we, Congress? Why don't we just pass another one? And if they got that one, fine. Then let's pass another one. But you've got to keep pushing on the pieces, on the margins. You've got to be out there in the fight. Right now, Congress has just receded. And let the Supreme Court hack away at unions, hack away at voting rights, hack away at the rights of women's access to health care, hack away at these fundamental rights. And so long as Congress doesn't fight back, so long as there's no administration to push to fight back, the Supreme Court can continue to do that. So uh, I believe we've got to put up a fight for what we believe in. I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth Warren, thank you so much for, for sitting down with us for so long. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another great conversation from the Crooked Team.